welcome to episode 13 of Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. I am your good and plenty host, Kristen Hawes, aka Kiki Writes. This episode covers the last episode in season one of Hawaii Five-O, episode 24, The Big Kahuna. I'm also going to do a little bit of a season one wrap up, a little look back at how far we've come because did anyone actually think I would finish the first season? I know, right? Shocking. Apologies if you can hear the mowing going on. It's mowing season here in the cornfield. Any nice day, someone in this neighborhood is mowing. Actually, it doesn't even have to be a nice day. It could be thundering and people will still be mowing. It's just how we live here. Enough yard work commentary. Let's go to Hawaii. I don't ask you for a favor very often, Steve. This time I need one. Name me. Does the name Sam Kalakua mean anything to you? Sam Kalakua, yeah. One of the last descendants of Hawaiian royalty left on the islands, isn't he? That's right. Sam's ancestors' roots were planted here long before the mainlanders knew these islands even existed. Now he's in jail. Jail? Went wild with a rifle last night. Shot up the neighbor. Almost hit one of the neighbors. Drunk? Ill? I don't know. Is that the favor? You see, Sam's regarded by his people as being sacred. So I'd like to find out what's going on with him, Steve. Quickly and quietly. Without an official police investigation. And you want him out of jail? I do. You know how proud these old line islanders are. Their feelings about the Howleys coming here, changing the face of their islands and their way of life, all in the name of progress. I'd like to stop any resentment before it starts. Something more, isn't it? You're right, Steve. Sam Kalakua happens to be a very close personal friend. It's done, sir. Thank you, Steve. Episode 24, The Big Kahuna. Air date, March 19th, 1969. Directed by Herschel Daughtry. This is five of five for him. Story by Leonard Freeman. Teleplay by Gilbert Ralston and Norman Huddis. This is their only Hawaii Five-O credit. Sam Kalakua is walking around his sprawling house by the light of a kerosene lamp when he hears an eerie wailing voice. Taking a shotgun, he goes to investigate and finds the spirit of Pele, the goddess of fire, in his backyard. He fires several shots at her, but she's a goddess, so... The next day, Steve is summoned to the governor's office, where the governor asks him for a favor. Sam Kalakua is in jail for going wild with a gun the night before, and he wants Steve to find out what's going on. Not only is Sam a good friend of the governor's, but he's also one of the last descendants of Hawaiian royalty, an anointed one and considered sacred by his people. The governor is worried about the optics of this as he doesn't want to give the native Hawaiians any more reason to dislike the Howleys. Steve agrees to help. Kono bails Sam out. Turns out that Sam is a distant uncle of Kono's. No one is surprised. One of Kono's great-grandfathers carried a spear for one of Sam's great-grandfathers. He tells Steve that Sam was shooting at the goddess of fire in an attempt to drive her away. Steve and Kono go to talk to Sam and sees Sam's kahuna leaving. They talk to Sam, who confirms what he told Kono. 
According to the Kahuna, Pele wants to drive Sam out of his house so she can live there. As a goddess, she can only live in the home of an anointed one. He's adamant about protecting himself from Pele, and Steve offers to help him defend himself. Kono investigates the spot where Sam saw Pele and finds a burnt piece of some unidentified synthetic material, but no other evidence of fire. As they're leaving, they run into Sam's nephew George and his wife Eleanor. They both say that Sam has had hallucinations before, but he won't get any real help. They tell Steve that it's a family matter and ask him to let them handle it. That night, Sam hears Pele calling for him again. He goes into the yard and throws a kerosene lamp at her, which explodes. The next morning, Sam is in front of a judge being questioned about his actions and his answers could determine whether or not he gets a psychiatric hold. Sam insists that he was only defending himself from Pele. Eleanor tries to defend him, saying that Sam is entitled to his beliefs. Steve intervenes and asks the judge to give him 48 hours to investigate the matter further, which is granted. Alone, Steve tells Danny and Kono that he thinks someone is trying to drive Sam off of his land. He asks Danny to check into the real estate angle and then tells Kono to find Chin Ho and investigate the latest sighting. At Sam's house, Kono and Chin Ho gather the pieces of the broken kerosene lamp while Chin Ho teases Kono about being afraid of Pele. Chin Ho realizes that the kerosene isn't pure kerosene. It's been mixed with something else and that's why the yard isn't burned. They also find some oil. Danny questions a real estate developer by the name of Barney Glazer, and he tells Danny that Sam's land is very valuable and that the crazy old man won't sell to anybody. He's even got a $100,000 finder's fee out for anyone who can convince Sam to sell to him. $100,000 is a lot of money, but not as much as $150,000, which is the note on George Kalakua's business, a note that's being held by Barney Glazer. Interesting. Kono also found out that the burnt synthetic material he found was part of a projection screen, and Chin Ho says the kerosene lamp had been loaded with fireworks. Steve tells Chin and Kono to trace the fireworks and then put a 24-hour guard on Sam. Then he tells Dano to track down the screen. It definitely looks like someone is trying to run Sam out of his house now. Dano says that they'll have to kill Sam to get him out. Steve thinks the fireworks in the lamp might have been an attempt. What would have happened if he'd been holding it when it exploded? Steve talks to Eleanor, who doesn't seem shy in telling him that her marriage to George is mostly of convenience. She gets offended when Steve tells her his theory about someone trying to scare Sam out of the house. She maintains that Sam is going senile, and if the psych eval supports it, then the estate will get a conservatorship. If not, no one will be happier than her and George. During the stakeout, Kono is a bit jumpy, and Chinho teases him about believing in Pele, which Kono says he hasn't done since he was four. And tonight, he feels like he's four. Inside, Sam is drinking and looking at a book. His vision starts to get blurry, and he sees and hears Pele again. He screams for his life. At the hospital, Chinho swears to Steve that no one got through to Sam. Everything was quiet until they heard him scream. The doctor says he's got hallucinogenics in his bloodstream. Dano follows a lead on the screen to a movie shooting on the island. Alistair Kemp denies having anything to do with Sam, but admits that the screen is used for special effects. Steve tells Danny to keep leaning on him, and then he gets a call from the hospital. Sam's gone, and he left a note saying that he was going someplace to die. So let's get this out of the way. Between the governor's defense of colonialism in the name of progress not wanting to upset the native Hawaiians by going after Sam for any criminal charges, and Steve in his rude dismissal of Sam's beliefs as dark ages. I am overly annoyed with the white people in this episode. 
just so rude. Now, to Steve's credit, he at least, because he is rude about it. He's kind of rude to Sam. He's kind of rude to Conal about it. I was protecting myself. From Pelly? Coro told you. I'd like to ask you two questions about it. No questions need to be asked. No answers need to be given. My statement is on record down at your police headquarters. Please leave me now. Just a minute, sir. Something happened last night, right here. And you know that. Now, I respect your version of it. But I'm a man of this century. I say there's no such thing as the goddess Pelly. My only son was killed in the war. Nothing else. That tragedy makes me a man of this century, too. But know what I saw last night? It was Pelly. If I hadn't driven her off, I would now be dead. All right, perhaps you saw something. Shadow? Maybe you dreamed it. A man living alone in a house like this can see many things. I saw Pelly! But he at least is willing to put his dismissal aside to help Sam, to figure out why he's seeing Pele, the goddess of fire, and to figure out what's going on. I will at least give him that. But he didn't have to be such a dick about it in the beginning. And as for the governor, yes, of course, he would be all about the pursuit of progress. But part of it is also that Sam is a good friend and he wants Steve to investigate what's going on to help Sam out. So I will at least give him that. So there are some caveats, I suppose, the best way to put that. But still, annoying white people behavior. And also our two Hawaiians in this episode, Sam Kalakua and George Kalakua, neither actor, to my knowledge, are Hawaiian. Sam Kalakua is played by John Marley. He's probably best known as the guy who found the horse head in his bed in The Godfather. So we have this whole episode which is so heavily rooted in Hawaiian beliefs and Hawaiian culture. And the central figure is supposed to be the descendant of Hawaiian royalty, not played by a Hawaiian. It's a little awkward. But anyway, we get quite a bit of the old Hawaiian beliefs in this episode, at least in regards to the, the goddess Pele. And we get some better framing for it with Kono, because Chin Ho's teasing of Kono about Pele the goddess of fire and believing in Pele the goddess of fire is much more good-natured I think because Chin Ho has a little more respect for different beliefs probably because he's not white and he does give Kono some good teasing and Kono even though he says he hasn't believed in Pele since he was four there's obviously some lingering effects there and he also defends Sam's belief in the goddess of fire as well as using a, a kahuna which is like a priest and he defends that to Steve by saying, everybody has to believe in something, which Steve agrees to. And then later, when Steve talks to Sam about his beliefs, Sam makes no apologies for what he believes or his use of the kahuna or any of that. He says, Pele the Guide of Fire showed up in my backyard and I defended myself. And he says this so matter-of-factly, he's like, it is on record at the police station, this is what happened. He does not allow for any possibilities of, you know, I was dreaming, I saw something, you know, it was a shadow, nothing. He knew what he saw and he was dedicated to that. And I love him for it. Not to turn this into some big diatribe about religion, but it should be noted that when it comes to Christian beliefs that are portrayed usually on television, they are accepted without question. Whereas 
any belief outside of that is viewed as other and suspect, particularly beliefs such as what's depicted here with the Hawaiian goddess of fire. That's considered to be very strange and archaic. But somehow, worshipping an invisible sky man who sacrificed his son on the cross, and you drink his blood and eat his flesh every Sunday as a holy sacrament, is somehow less archaic and strange. So just a little bit of perspective there. So Sam's adamant about seeing Pele, and we know Sam saw Pele because we saw Pele, and it was a rather impressive display. And despite Steve being a disbeliever, he tells Sam that he wants to help defend himself against Pele and asks to see where Pele appeared. When Kono goes to investigate it, that's when they find this burnt piece of synthetic material that you really can't. It's just this white piece of something that's charred around the edges. And they don't know what it is, but Kono also points out that there's no evidence of fire. So we know that Sam definitely saw something. There is a there is some physical evidence there that he actually saw something, that it wasn't a hallucination. But the lack of fire damage is kind of curious. I also think it's kind of curious that the goddess of fire wants to live in Sam's house. I mean, it's a nice looking house. It's a big kind of sprawling estate type place. But I would think that a goddess wouldn't really need a house. Like, that's the whole point of being a goddess. But like I said, I'm not familiar with these beliefs, so I don't know where Hawaiian gods and goddesses are supposed to live. You'd think they'd pick a place where they didn't have a mortgage, though. So as Steve and Kona leave, they end up running into George and Eleanor. And George is Hawaiian, Eleanor is Howley. And they talk to them. And it's funny because, of course, Steve introduces himself and he's like, of course you know Kono. And it's like, yeah, that Kono's a relative. He's related to everyone on the island. Between him and Chin Ho, they are related to the entirety of Oahu. And I love that running joke. But anyway, so they talk to George and Eleanor and, and they're adamant that Sam is basically in declining mental health because he's very old. They keep pressing that he's very old and I'm pretty sure John Marley wasn't that old at the time. Yeah, just to the math. He was 62. Probably would have been about 62. 61, 62 when this episode was filmed, which I guess is ancient in 1969 years. But they keep pressing that he's he's old, he's getting senile, he's returning to his old beliefs because of his advanced elderly state. They make a point of saying that he's had hallucinations before, and they kind of try to shove Steve out of this and, and say, you know, it's a family matter, we'll handle it, don't worry about it. And I'm like, well, technically Kono's family, so he's involved, so he's keeping it a family matter, right? Sure. So that night, Sam hears Pele calling for him again. And let me say, the, the Pele stuff is actually really great because it is kind of spooky. It's eerie. The wailing is very unsettling. So it's actually kind of well done. And he hears Pele calling for him again. And he like puts down one kerosene lamp and he goes into another room and he gets another kerosene lamp. And when he lights it, it sparks red and he chucks it out into the yard at the image of Pele and it explodes. The very next scene, it just goes from explosion to we're in the judge's office and Sam's being called upon to explain himself. And he is defiant and he first won't explain himself. He's like, why should I when you have me caged like an animal? And then he later, he's he gives his account and he says, I was defending myself from the goddess of Pele. She wants to live in my house. She wants to destroy me. I'm not having it. My kahuna says I can defend myself against her if I can, and that's what I'm going to do. Just 
absolutely no apologies to this judge who is like, I'm here to determine whether or not you need to go for a psychiatric evaluation. And he's not even going to pretend that anything else happened. And Eleanor attempts to defend him a couple times. The first time the judge shuts her down. The second time after Sam explains himself, she's like, maybe I should offer an explanation. The judge is like, yeah, because I'm white. I have no clue what the hell is going on here. And Eleanor says that his beliefs are different than other people's, but it's just that lately they seem to be a little more pronounced. And that's when Steve intervenes and says, listen, let's put this on hold for 48 hours so we can look into this and let the family and friends investigate the matter further. Because it's technically the whole investigation is up until this point has been under the radar because the governor didn't want it on record. He wanted it done very quietly. And since George and Eleanor are pushing for this to be a family matter, there's no official police involvement. So when the judge grants them, grants Steve his wish as like the judge is going to deny Steve anything and they leave, that's when Steve tells Danny and Kono that he thinks that this is a ploy to get Sam off his land because Sam is sitting on, I think they said $3 million worth of land in a real estate boom area. Man, that land now is probably worth multiple of that. So he has Danny go and check out that angle. And then he has Kono find Chin Ho and investigate the latest sighting and basically saying, find something that makes this a police matter so they can be officially involved. Mostly I think that is to keep Sam from being committed because that's what it kind of looks like is going to happen. And we luck out in this episode because we've gone quite a while without getting really good Kono and Chin Ho scenes. And in this episode, we get a, a couple of really nice Kono and Chin Ho scenes. So Kono and Chin Ho together. And like I said, a lot of that revolves around Chin Ho teasing Kono about Pele. Something's eating you, Kono. Who, me? What should be eating me? Can't see much holy blood in you. Maybe this bit of God is spilling, the rest of it is getting to you. I'm a cop, remember? Yeah, you're a wine, remember? And it's really kind of cute. It's funny, but it's also cute. And it's very good natured because unlike Steve, who is just totally dickish and dismissive about it, Chin Ho isn't dismissing any belief that Kono might have. He's actually teasing him about being afraid of Pele, treating Pele as like a boogeyman. I really enjoy that interaction between the two of them. And I'm sad we didn't get more of it during the season. Notice something, Kuno? Yeah, I notice. Call it cool, throws a burning lamp out the window. Only nothing out here burns. It explodes and there's no sign. Kerosene ain't digestible. It's not kerosene. It's a chemical of some kind. Look at this. You ready for goddess with an oil leak? Just like you're ready for a fire that doesn't burn. Chin Ho and Kono find a lamp. They find evidence that the kerosene was tampered with because Chin Ho tastes it, which appalls Kono. And they also find evidence of uh, an oil leak somewhere. While they're doing that, Danny goes and questions the real estate developer, Barney Glazer. And you can immediately tell that he is some sort of asshole because he's golfing. And so far, that seems to be the theme that if they're golfing, they're dicks. Anyway... Danny talks to him and he talks about how he's tried to buy Sam's property multiple times because it's worth a fortune, but every time he sends a broker out, Sam meets them with a shotgun. He's just adamant about not selling. And he tells Danny about the finder's fee that he has out. And he even offers it to Danny, saying, if you can convince this guy, I'll pay you $100,000. And of course, our beloved Dano declines because he's a good person. 
Dano also plays a hunch and finds out that George Kalakua owes a $150,000 note that Barney Glazer holds. So the pieces are starting to come together. If you're at all paying attention, you kind of know before this who is trying to drive Sam off of his land. It's kind of obvious. But what you're really looking for after this is how it all comes together, how they put the pieces together. So they find out that the charred bit of synthetic is actually from a movie screen, a projection screen, and that the kerosene lamp was filled with fireworks. So Kono and Shinho are dispatched to trace the fireworks and to organize a guard for Sam because Steve doesn't want anybody getting to him that night. Meanwhile, Danny is dispatched to trace the projection screen. And I like how Dano says they're going to have to kill Sam to get him off of his land and Steve isn't convinced convinced that they didn't try with the lantern because what if that kerosene lamp had exploded in his hand? Anybody who's been a child in proximity to cherry bombs and M80s knows what happens when you're holding on to a giant firework when it goes off. So I think it's interesting that up until that particular point, it's basically been played that they're just trying to get Sam out, but Steve recognizes that the potential for murder is there, which actually is kind of an important bit of foreshadowing. So Steve ends up going to talk to Eleanor, who has an amazing couch. It is fabulous. It is pretty simple wooden construction with with the square cushions, but the pattern is this pink and orange and yellow 60s flower print that if you stare at it too long, it's going to give you a headache. It's absolutely magnificent. I wish I owned it. But he goes and talks to Eleanor and Eleanor makes no bones about the fact that her marriage to George is basically a marriage of convenience because he's a bit of a, a drinker and he is a bit of a womanizer, but she gets the finer things in life out of this marriage. More power to you, honey. And she really doesn't care for Steve insinuating that they might have something to do or that somebody might be trying to run Sam off of his land. I have a theory, Mrs. Calicourt. I'm merely trying to probe the areas that might prove or disprove it. Well, I have a theory too, Mr. McGarrett, that Uncle is growing senile, and his superstitions bring on the visions of Pelle, and those superstitions may cause harmful injury to himself or to others. Psychiatric examination bears me out. They'll have to appoint a conservator. And if it doesn't, no one could be happier than George and me. So why don't you go play cops and robbers someplace else? Stop bothering me about that poor superstitious old man. And what's funny about that is that her argument for why it's so insulting and offensive that Steve would think such a thing literally outlines exactly why he would think this and what's happening. It's basically like you just told him your motive. You just spelled it out right there what the end game is. You literally told him. So much for being a clever mastermind here. So that night at the stakeout, we get another cute little scene between Shinho and Kono. All staked out. HPD is covering the rear and the other side. You okay? Sure. The last time I saw you looked like that. Someone had a gun at your head. Ain't very funny, brother. You believe in Pele, huh? You gotta be kidding. I ain't believe in Pele since I was four years old. You know, I suddenly feel like I'm four years old. I'll check around. And then we see Sam. He's inside the house by kerosene light. I guess this house has no electricity or he just doesn't use it. I don't know. 
but he's inside, he's reading a book by kerosene light, and he's drinking, and his vision gets blurry, and suddenly he hears and sees Pele, goddess of fire. And it's very psychedelic, acid-trippy type vision. Because we know that something is going on to make Sam think that he's seeing Pele. We know that something is definitely amiss here that he is seeing Pele in the house. And he screams for his life, and it's pretty horrifying. So he goes directly to the hospital. Steve comes in and he is on Jin Ho's ass and he's like, how did somebody get to him? That is explicitly what I said should not happen. And Jin Ho defends himself and he defends Kono. He says, nobody did. Everything was quiet until Sam started screaming. The doctor comes out and tells Steve that Sam is currently in critical condition because apparently he's been drugged. And Steve actually is diplomatic about it. And he's like, well, is it sleeping pills or something? And he's like, no, there's basically hallucinogenics in his blood. So he was obviously dosed with some acid. And considering the vision that he saw, yeah, it looks like an acid trip gone bad. Meanwhile, Danny tracks down the movie company, the only one on the island that's using this projection screen. And he meets up with the guy directing this film. His name is Alistair Kemp. And he has this real Alan Seuss vibe about him. And if you've never watched Laugh-In, you have no idea who I'm talking about. Trust me, it's Alan Sue's. It's Alan Sue's on some sort of high on life drugs because the guy comes across as everything is kind of funny. Just he's on a higher plane. He's not, I wouldn't say he's like completely stoned and he's not tripping out on ass or anything like that. Danny asks if he's using pills and he's like, no, I, I could never take pills. Ask my mom. She lives in Kansas. He, it's just that kind of thing that he is just operating on a slightly altered level. And he denies that he had anything to do with Sam. He denies any involvement in this plot. But he does admit that the screen is is used for special effects. So it's all kind of coming together at this point. So the screen is used for special effects. Obviously what Sam saw in his yard was a projection, not an actual person. And that's why he was able to shoot at it and nothing happened and why there was no evidence of anything being burnt in the yard. There is the evidence of the the oil leak, which Danny does find that one of the trucks at the movie set has an oil leak, which kind of ties him in. But Alistair Kemp's not giving anything up, and Danny relays this to Steve, and Steve believes that he he knows more and tells him to lean on him, and that's when he gets the phone call about Sam. He's disappeared from the hospital, and he's left a note saying that he's going someplace to die. So now they're in kind of a dual race here, is not only getting the evidence of who's doing what and how they're trying to drive Sam off of his land and possibly kill him, and they have to find Sam before he offs himself because he truly believes that Pele wants him dead and wants to live in his house. And it all does come together. They end up, while they're looking for Sam, they serve a warrant on the film production to seize the film that they're looking for that they think was projected in Sam's backyard. And for whatever reason, Dano serves this warrant alone. And of course he's confronted by Alistair Kemp and then the rest of the people that are filming there. And I'm like, why, why would you go by yourself to serve this search warrant? That makes no sense, Danny. Just that's poor procedure. But he does get the film that he needs which is the film of Pele, the Goddess of Fire, and they watch it at the office, and it brings everything together. And now it's just a matter of finding Sam, which, of course, you know, Kono has his relatives all on the lookout, and it's one of Kono's relatives that ends up letting them know where Sam is. It all comes together really well. All of the pieces fit, and that what 
and it all make, makes sense. The thing is, is that it's a very elaborate plot to try to get Sam off of his land. It's a lot of work. And it's the exact kind of plot that you would expect to find in the real world because there's too many people involved. So there's too many opportunities for it to go awry because somebody talks. And it's too elaborate, which a lot of like these kind of plots end up being these plans. It's like, okay, we're going to drive Uncle crazy so we can get his land. And it's always really involved and really extra. It's the kind of thing that you see on 48 hours. It's too much. It's over the top. And I love over the top planning like this. It makes for an entertaining watch. So the episode does all come together and I'm not going to explain exactly how. I don't want to spoil you for that. You understand it. I mean, it makes complete and perfect sense. And the very end has, is very uplifting. So it's actually a nice um, final episode for the season because they really didn't do much with cliffhangers back then. So it was a nice little button up. A good episode to end on. I have already mentioned several members of our guest cast, but I'm going to mention them again because they deserve to have the spotlight shown on them. Eleonora Kalakua was played by Sally Kellerman, probably best known as Hot Lips Houlihan in the movie MASH. She was also Janet Davidson on a TV show called Decker. Tony Marin on a TV show called Marin. She was the voice of Principal Stark on Unsupervised. And she was also Lola on a show called Chemistry. I have not heard of any of them. She also turned up in Surfside 6, Twilight Zone, Star Trek, Outer Limits, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, My Three Sons, Ben Casey, The Invaders, Mannix, Bonanza, Evening Shade, Columbo, Murder, She Wrote. She was also in a couple of episodes of Diagnosis Murder, one of which was basically a MASH reunion because it also featured Elliot Gould, Loretta Swit, Jamie Farr, and William Christopher. Diagnosis Murder did a lot of those episodes, and I love that series for it. She was also in the movies Ready to Wear, Meatballs 3, Moving Violations, Foxes, Welcome to L.A., Slither, the 1973 film with James Caan, father of the new Daniel Scott Caan, Brewster McCloud, The Boston Strangler, and her first credit is a movie called Reform School Girl with Luana Anders, who was in the Hawaii Five-O episode and they painted daisies on his coffin. And Ed Burns, who played Kooky on 77 Sunset Strip. There's actually a song called Kooky, Lend Me Your Comb. Go on YouTube, find it. It will enrich your life. It's Ed Burns and Connie Stevens. Sally Killerman was also in the TV movies Big Blonde for Lovers Only, Secret Weapons with Linda Hamilton and Gina Davis, Drop Dead Gorgeous, and Verdict in Blood. And she was also in the miniseries Centennial. George Kalakua was played by Robert Colbert. Colbert? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. He was Dr. Doug Phillips on Time Tunnel. He was also in Bourbon Street Beat, Surfside 6, Hawaiian Eye, 77 Sunset Strip, Maverick, Thriller, Laramie, Wagon Train, My Favorite Martian, The Virginian, Bonanza, Land of the Giants, Mannix, Quincy, Knight Rider, Simon and Simon, Hunter, Wings, and Baywatch. He was in the movies I'm Gonna Get You, Sucka. A Fever in Blood with Efren Zimbalist Jr. And, and Angie Dickinson, and Have Rocket Will Travel, which was a Three Stooges movie that I actually saw on the big screen at the Lincoln Theater. It was during a Three Stooges marathon. He was also in the TV movies City Beneath the Sea and The Killer Who Wouldn't Die with Mike Connors, Clue Gulliger, and James Shigeta. Sam Kalakua was played by John Marley. We'll see him in two more episodes. So he was Jack Waltz in The Godfather. 
He was also on Peter Gunn, Mr. Lucky, Bourbon Street Beat, Rawhide, Thriller, Hawaiian Eye, The Untouchables, Sea Hunt, 77 Sunset Strip, Dr. Kildare, Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, Gunsmoke, Wild Wild West, The Virginian, Ironside, Kolchak, Barnaby Jones, Vegas, The Incredible Hulk, and Hardcastle and McCormick. He was in the movies It Lives Again, The Car, which I love, Dead of Night, The Dead or Alive, Love Story, and I Want to Live. And he was in the TV movies Incident in San Francisco, The Sheriff, In Broad Daylight, and Falcon's Gold. Barney Glazer was played by Peter Leeds. We'll see him in one more episode. He has 248 credits going back to 1941. He was Tenor Smith on Trackdown, which I've oddly seen a couple of episodes of. And he was George Colton on Peter and Gladys. He was also on I Love Lucy, Peter Gunn, Leave it to Beaver, Mr. Lucky, Thriller, Dick Van Dyke Show, Batman, Perry Mason, Adam's Family, My Mother the Car, F Troop, Green Acres, Emergency, Adam 12, Trapper John MD, Alice, and Silver Spoons. He turned up in the movies The Rookie, Girl's Town, and I'll Cry Tomorrow. And he had a small role in the TV movie Senior Trip. Alistair Kemp was played by Jerry Cox. We'll see him in three more episodes. He also showed up in an episode of The Brian Keith Show, and he was apparently Super Spy McPig and Sylvester in the Checkers and Pogo documentary. Remember we talked about Checkers and Pogo a while ago with the Hawaiian kids show? The judge was played by Robert Brilliant. We'll see him in four more episodes. And the doctor was played by Robert Costa. This is his second of 12 episodes. We already saw him in The Ways of Love. Our teleplay was by Gilbert Ralston and Norman Hudis. Gilbert Ralston did seven episodes of Naked City, 16 episodes of Ben Casey, three episodes of The Big Valley, five episodes of Gentle Ben, two episodes of O'Hara, U.S. Treasury, and two episodes of The Untouchables. He also has writing credits for the movies The Hunting Party, Willard, and Ben. Norman Hudis wrote 39 episodes of Our House. He's list, It's a 1963 TV show, and he's also listed as the creator. He did four episodes of The Saint, six episodes of Man from Uncle, three episodes of It Takes a Thief, and 12 episodes of Marcus Welby. He also has various writing credits for the movies Snowballing, Hot Resort, Stranger in Town, and Beware of Children. He also has the story teleplay credit for the TV movie Tourist. that, my friends, is The Big Kahuna. Another episode that I usually don't think about when I go to rewatch season one. It's a hidden gem of an episode. I do enjoy watching it. If you can get past the fact that none of the Hawaiians are actually Hawaiian, and if you can get past the day for night, which is truly very obvious during the opening scene and then the later stakeout scene and perhaps I'm just overly sensitive to it after watching The Green Hornet where they use it so often but I'm sure for the average viewer it won't be as big of a deal. It's actually a really good episode. I do enjoy it. You get a little bit more of Hawaiian culture and you get more Kono and Chinho than we've had all season. And you know, who doesn't want that? Sounds to me like Kono's nine-tenth Hawaiian and one-tenth cop. For sure, Danny. Now that we have officially come to the end of season one, I thought it would be fitting to do a little bit of a review slash wrap up. Season one is actually one of the seasons that I consider to be one of the stronger seasons of the show because there are a lot of very good episodes in it. Even the ones that aren't that great are still worthy of a watch, at least once. They're not going to be a waste of time. 
And like I've said, there are several episodes where I forget that this, I forget about this episode. I forget what's go, what is in this episode, what this episode is about. And then I rewatch and I'm like, oh yeah, this is a really great episode. There's no wasted time in season one, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm happy to report that I did actually solve one of our season one mysteries. My friend Shannon got me a book called Booking Hawaii Five-O by Karen Rhodes. I should have probably got it before I started doing this podcast, but we all know me. I'm lazy and ill-prepared. Anyway, she got me this book and I've only been able to kind of glance through it so far. And it seems it's got a great episode guide to it as well as some other background information. And I look forward to actually reading through this, hopefully before I start recording season two, so I can get a little bit better background about the show that hopefully I can share with everybody else. But one thing I did find is that she does include in the book the production schedule, so the order in which the episodes were filmed. And so guess what? Six Kilos was indeed filmed before the box, which means the box is a sequel to Six Kilos, even though Swanson's name changed from Carl to Charlie. It still counts. So mystery solved. We know the, the production order. We know the intent. So there was actually several episodes in this season that were all interconnected, something that really didn't happen very often back in 68-69. For my own amusement, I was keeping tallies of just different things from the season. Obviously, because the podcast is called Bookum Dano, I kept track of the number of times that Steve said Bookum Dano, and guess what? He only said it three times during the first season. Three. The first time he said it was in episode 7, 24 Karat Kill. He said it again in episode 10 by the numbers. And the final time was episode 19, Along Came Joey. That episode also gave us a bonus, Bookum Chin. Bookum Chin. So we only said Bookum Dano three times during the first season. We'll see how season two fares for the catchphrase. Some of the other random things that I just kept tallies of is just what everybody was doing during the season, mostly getting hurt or going undercover. So McGarrett went undercover twice. He did it once in episode eight and once in episode 23. Both of those times were amazing. He was also shot three times while jogging, which is why jogging is bad. And he got cracked ribs from a fight with a suspect in episode 13. Danny went undercover twice, once as a free spirit beach bum in episode 15, and once again in episode 23 as a fisherman so he could do surveillance. He was also shot in the gut in episode 14, and he was indicted for first degree murder back in episode 6. Chin Ho, he only went undercover once, and that was in episode 16. He was put on a fishing boat. He also got a skull fracture from being attacked while doing surveillance back in episode 7, and he was also shot in the arm by Suntek O oh in episode 16. Kono fared the best out of everybody. He only went undercover once as a taxi driver who picked up Steve while he was undercover back in episode 23 and escaped season one injury free. Good job, Kono. And yes, because I point it out just about every time I see it, I have been keeping track of how many times they cast a non-Hawaiian Pacific Islander or Asian as a Hawaiian Pacific Islander or Asian character. Seven episodes in season one. Seven out of 24 doesn't sound bad until you realize the ideal number should be zero. Then it looks worse. It should be noted that I am not the only person that thinks the first season is swell. First of all, I'm sure a lot of other viewers really enjoyed the first season of Hawaii 5 but also it was nominated for two Emmys. 
Morton Stevens was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Achievement in Musical Composition for the pilot Cocoon, and cinematographer Frank V. Phillips was nominated for Outstanding Achievement in Cinematography for the episode Uptight, which as you might recall had a bunch of acid trip visuals happening that I found rather unsettling and really good. So that brings us to the end of season one and the end of episode 13 of Become Dano. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for sticking it out for the first 13 episodes and for the first season of the show. I hope you are enjoying it and I hope that you are actually watching the show and giving it a chance because it is a wonderful trip. I said when I started this that the real task for me on whether or not this podcast was going to last would be if I could get through the first season of the show and I did. So I believe I can say with some certainty that we do have season two to look forward to and we are one step closer to me actually making it through the entire series all the way through season 12. So thank you once again for listening. Honestly, I like the sound of my own voice, so I probably would be doing it anyway, even if you weren't, but I'm glad that you are because it makes it that much more fun to do and makes it easier to do. So if you want to find me online, you can do that at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. It is the home of Bookum Dano. You can also find me living it up and procrastinating over on Twitter at KikiWrites. So remember, honor the goddess Pele and take the lessons of season one with you to season two. Until next time, aloha.